0: Welcome everyone to Spirited Discussions. I am your host, Lachlan Watt, a passionate alcoholic and alcohol educator with years of experience in both the spirits and bar industries. Throughout this series, we are going to explore the history and production of some of our favorite vibations. And in each episode, I'll be joined by an incredibly experienced guest. Together, we will delve into a topic with all of the information that you need to understand why you enjoy what you're drinking, as well as some fun tidbits to share with your friends. I'm so looking forward to taking you on this journey to discover the wonderful world of alcohol. Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Thank you for doing this. Sláinte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spirited Discussions. Today, I am joined by a good friend of mine, Cassie. We are going to be discovering and talking about beer today. It is such a broad topic and it's very chaotic at the moment as well with all of the expansion of the craft beer industry over the last 20 years. So it's something really exciting for, for me because I love drinking beer, especially with you. So welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Lachlan. Thanks for having me on. It's very exciting.
0: No, it's an absolute pleasure. We haven't seen each other in, well, a little while at least.
1: Not that I remember. No. <laughs>
0: Before we uh, get started proper, I'd love to get... You to explain your time in the industry and how you came to be, you know, working in the beer industry and studying your Cicerone training?
1: Yep. Um, so I actually, like, I, f- I feel like I say that I came to beer quite late, but <laughs> I think I was kind of always surrounded by it. Um, if you can't hear, I'm from Northern Ireland. Um I started, never, I, never realized that. <laughs> <laughs> I started in hospitality in Ireland when I was 16. So I was, it was always there. I was always kind of surrounded by it. Obviously in Ireland, the beer culture is pretty huge, but when you walk into a pub, there's 13 lagers on tap, plus yeah. Kilkenny and Guinness. So the kind of diversity of it isn't really there. No. Um, so growing up and being in hospitality and traveling, I drank beer, but it wasn't my first choice. You know, if I went to the US, I was probably drinking a Bud Light or something, maybe a Blue Moon. Yeah. When I went to Southeast Asia, I was drinking a Chang or a Tiger. So I kind of came to it really late. I moved to um, Australia, I worked in Brisbane in hospitality, and then I moved down to Melbourne Um I worked at a place called Bimbo's uh, on Brunswick Street.
0: (laughs) I remember Bimbo's.
1: (laughs) Um, Which I loved. I loved working there. It was so much fun. Um, But I tasted a beer called Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. And I just never tasted anything like that before. It wasn't, it didn't look like any beer that I had tasted before. It didn't smell like any beer. It was fruity. And it just kind of started that um, kind of, thirst for knowledge, I guess. And then from bimbos, I started working at the local tap house in St. Kilda, which is kind of one of the beacons of craft beer in Australia. And from there, I really just was surrounded by it. It was there all the time. I was really lucky because at the local tap house, they had over 450 beers on tap a year. So you'd come to work, there'd be eight new beers on tap. So you were constantly trying new stuff and new stuff. Um, and that really just started my journey.
0: Well, and so what, what are you doing currently?
1: So now, um, I work at Stomping Ground. I actually went from the local tap house straight to Stomping Ground. I was their first rep when they opened seven years ago. Uh, and now I manage, uh, the sales for Stomping Ground.
0: Fantastic. And so Stomping Ground is a brewery here in Melbourne, obviously in Collingwood. And you've been also from my knowledge, been studying your Cicerone training. So Cicerone is effectively the sommelier uh, training but for beer, right?
1: Correct. So I guess maybe seven or eight years ago, I was lucky enough to be in the the first group of people that sat Cicerone in Australia Mm -hmm. um, and was lucky enough to pass. Uh, And since then, I have done my advanced Cicerone in the US. I flew to San Diego when I took it. And now I'm part of part of a group called ASCCP, which is the Australian Certified Cicerone Professionals Community, Mm -hmm. ACCP. I'm still trying to wrap (laughs) my head around that. Um, But we only just started about two months ago. I'm I'm one of the VIC team leaders. uh, And what we want to do is basically when I did it back then. There was no one to ask questions. You know, yeah. we were the first people in the country to do it. There was no one if you just wanted to say, hey, do I need to know this? So what we're trying to do is start a community and mentor people and hopefully be a resource for people who, who do want to sit Cicerone.
0: Yeah, Cicerone is one of those um, uh, training programs that honestly excites me to the point that I really want to do it. Uh, but that won't be happening Anytime soon, but it is something I've, I am excited to do because beer is such an exciting front at the moment, especially with what's happening in the US over the last 30, 30 years, give or take. And then you know, subsequently around the world as well. Yep. So it is, it is a really exciting front and the, uh, the there's what, only 20 or so Master Cicerones in the world?
1: Yes, there are around 20 Master Cicerones in the world. One of them is Australian. He lives in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, but there are none currently residing in Australia. So that's definitely, uh, I mean, you're looking at me with a surprise face and <laughs> you should be surprised because that would be very far away for me. But um, it's something to strive towards, I think, for sure.
0: What's the process to become a Master Cicerone from, so um, you said you've done the, the, the I guess you would say the general training, the the, the, the main level and then mm-hmm. the, the step up from that. And then where, where do you go from there?
1: Um, so I actually sat my advanced Cicerone. So it's, it starts at a certified beer server. You could do that tomorrow probably if you have an interest in beer. Yeah. From there you go to certified Cicerone, which is quite a step up. You know, you want to study for six to 12 months. You want to have a really good understanding of brewing and draft systems and history and all of that. And yeah. then you move to advanced. I've sat advanced. I passed the tasting component, but I failed the written on water chemistry.
0: Oof, that's, uh, that's an important <sighs> part too.
1: I also left it to the last to study because I was obviously so excited about studying it. So it really came and bit me. Uh, but so I have to redo that. But uh, masters, I can't even imagine, you know, it's kind of like master smelly. Yeah? You have to taste five beers, say what hops are in them, say what malt is in them you know, completely blind, you should be able to identify a beer,
0: yep. which is it's very It's a challenging scary. thing to do, but it is such an interesting thing because I believe Garrett Oliver is one of those 20 Master Cicerans, right?
1: He is indeed, yep.
0: Yeah, and he's, you know, the the leading authority on beer for, for most of the world at least.
1: He's like beer dad.
0: Yeah, beer dad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've only had the pleasure to meet him once. (laughs) Only once. Only once.
1: (laughs) He probably says that about you too.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No. Probably wouldn't even remember. (laughs) Um, So with all that out of the way, I think we'll start off our episode like we do with every other episode and go through our 60-second history. Now, this one's going to be quite annoying for me, just like when we did wine because it is such a globally – Understood. Topic: There is so much history, so I'm going to just do a bit of an ancient history one. I think, otherwise, we'll be here for hours.
1: Well, you've only got sixty seconds. Yeah, I can't do hours. (laughs) No, you can't do. hours that's kind of the point. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that is the point.
1: (laughs) You wanna, you wanna start?
0: Just tell me when you're ready.
1: Let's go.
0: All right. So the origins of beer go all the way back to China over ten thousand years ago although it becomes more common due to the Sumerians in ancient Mesopotamia and through trade travels to Egypt where the the processes are improved and they start to create a lighter style that becomes more popularized. Through that, it also travels to Greece and to uh, Italy through the Romans, although they consider it to be a more barbaric alcohol.
1: You've got 30 seconds. Comparatively
0: to wine. Although Germany, who the Romans considered to be more barbaric at the time, they absolutely loved it. And so they started to uh, perfect uh, these rudimentary processes and popularize the style, leading to our current craft beer industry. And I bloody well made it. I love
1: it. Oh, wow. With 10, actually 11 seconds to spare. Oh, that's Um, actually
0: genuinely, what, the first time
1: we made it? Yeah, that's
0: great. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy with that.
1: <laughs> I'm less happy. I, I was really looking forward to heckling you in the last 10 seconds. <laughs> mm,
0: no, not today. You can heckle me over anything else. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you kind of touched, uh, touched on it in your history. So what was your first experience with beer? Let's kind of break that down a bit further. So you worked at the local tap house and that's where you started to form your understanding of beer as a category. Was there any particular beer that stood out at that time that really cemented that?
1: Uh, I think this answer is probably the same as a lot of beer fans, which is Rodenbach Grand Cru.
0: Yeah, that was mine.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) For anyone that doesn't know Rodenbach Grand Cru, uh, this descriptor might not sound very good, but it kind of has this really beautiful balsamic vinegar. Yeah flavor it's um kind of ruby red with shades of brown it's got this amazing kind of aroma and i just never ever i I couldn't believe that that was beer yeah uh and i've had a lot of people return that beer to me at the bar and tell me that there's something absolutely wrong with it but when you know what it is and what you're drinking it is just the most amazing experience
0: rotten brewery is my favorite brewery globally easily I, i
1: would probably say the same
0: and their Caractère Rouge is my oh. favorite beer that they make as well.
1: And they actually only make one beer. Yeah. So they just make one beer and then they, you know, age it or they, they add fruit it to it. They in treat it ways. separately, which is really amazing.
0: It's, they are incredible. It is genuine. It was my first enlightening to beer and like, okay, this is what beer can be. Let's explore this more broadly.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: 100%. So. We'll break down those styles as we go on, but we'll start with the one that we're tasting right now. So we're tasting, well, actually, can you tell us what we're tasting right now? You brought this in for us to taste.
1: I picked this up yesterday um, at Range Taproom in Abbotsford in Melbourne. Uh, So Ranger Brewery from Brisbane. I was actually going to mention them later, so I'm going to sound like a Range fan girl. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) They've been around for a few years. They make a variety of styles. I actually really enjoy their lagers. This is a Vienna lager. It's not a style that you see super commonly these days, but it's a very malt-forward lager. I guess in craft beer at the moment, we're seeing a bit of a resurgence of lager as a category, which is really exciting, especially for brewers. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's all the brewers want to make is lagers. But um, yeah, this is uh, super malt-forward, nice Still crisp, clean, refreshing. It's, it, co- it's called pastrami on rye.
0: Yeah, which is.
1: It says funny that it in multiple ways. Is best enjoyed with a deli sandwich, <laughs> which we don't currently have right now, but I can imagine.
0: No, on a Sunday it's very difficult to find a deli style sandwich. Is um, it? It is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which I only found out recently. It's more of a weekday thing, apparently in Melbourne. Yeah. Right. Which is a nightmare.
1: Well, at least we have a beer.
0: Yeah, at least we have a beer. Now, so we've mentioned lager. So lager, we'll start there as our base style, right? So lager is a style that originates around Germany. Correct. Yep. So what defines a lager beer?
1: So basically it's all about the temperature that it's fermented at and also yep. the yeast. Yep. Uh, and in your very 50-second history of beer, you got right up to Germany there. Uh and in Germany and also in the Czech Republic, that's where these styles really started. Um and a lot of it was to do with the water uh and the water chemistry. Here we are back with water chemistry, my <laughs> favorite topic. But um, you know, back in those days they didn't have the labs that we have now or anything mm. to add to the beer to make it come out in the way that they wanted it to. So or it was the
0: understanding of the chemistry behind correct. the water. They just used a good water source, and that was it. We're
1: like, we have water. Now what can we make? We can make this kind of beer. Uh, And it was also with the malt that they used. Basically, up until a certain point in history, every single beer was dark because they didn't have a way to treat it. Uh, They just put it over fire, essentially, Mm -hmm. and And roasted roasted it. it. So it was all dark. Uh, And there was a new kilning method, basically, that came about in those days that meant that they could make Really delicious light lager, and that started in the Czech Republic and in Germany. And it kind of started with um, Munich Helles, German Pilsners, Czech Pilsners, Vienna Lagers, um, Munich Martins, uh, and they are the most consumed probably style of beer in the world even today.
0: Yeah, and we we make a lot of. Uh, Well, everywhere in the world makes a lager of some persuasion. And the most popular beer in each country will be their local lager.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So for us here in Melbourne, it'll be things like uh, Carlton Draft or Melbourne Bitter. VB. Victoria Bitter. You've got Tui's New in New South Wales. 4X. 4X up in Queensland. Great Northern.
1: Grashes.
0: Grashes. You've also (laughs) got things like uh, Singtau from Asia, etc. Tiger, like you mentioned Mm -hmm. before. You've yep. got uh, Heineken, Peroni, etc. These are all lagers, yeah. Right,
1: every single one. The most
0: yep. popularized beers around the world are all lagers.
1: Yeah, and they're actually the hardest cells to make because yep. they're so clean, they're so crisp.
0: There's nothing to hide. behind. There's
1: nothing to hide behind one hundred percent, and I think that everyone knows that the true mark of a good brewer is if they can make a good lager.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is a spectacular this Vienna, is very as delicious. Well. Yep. So it, it tastes like fresh malt. It's Really well constructed.
1: Yeah, it's got really nice mouthfeel, really nice and kind of almost dances on your tongue.
0: Really great, creamy, yeah, creamy texture mm-hmm. with that light carbonation as well, not too aggressive.
1: And these guys are kind of known for their hazies, their hazy IPAs and yeah, their oak big creams, hoppy beers and yeah. cream. Um, but clearly good brewers because they make a really good lager.
0: Now, we've mentioned hops quite a lot, and I think the best way to talk about hops is to move on to our next style, which is pale ales. So we don't have a pale ale in front of us, but so a pale ale is what exactly?
1: So a pale ale is a hop forward beer, first of all. Hops are a flower which is derived from the same family as marijuana, Mm -hmm. but you can't smoke it. You could smoke it, but there would be no advantages to it. No, it doesn't Uh, have the
0: things that... People want out of marijuana.
1: No, it doesn't. And the reason that we use hops is that initially and still hops are a preservative. They mm-hmm. were used to keep the beer from spoiling and people really grew to love the flavor of them. They're bitter, they're aromatic. Uh, and pale ale is now probably, probably, I would say the most consumed craft beer.
0: It mm-hmm. yeah, um, absolutely is.
1: Yeah. And they kind of hops and pale ales and what then became IPAs, which are India pale ales. They started the craft beer revolution in the U S in the late eighties with beers like Sierra Nevada yeah. pale ale.
0: But we've got so many famous pale ales around the country. You mentioned uh, Stonerwood Pacific ale, mm-hmm. which is to a stretch a pale ale by, by design. Right? Yeah. It's
1: an Australian pale
0: ale. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <sighs> we're, we're holding up air quotes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which, uh, yeah, so these, these hops are then used in the beer, so they're what are they added to what part of the process to?
1: I mean, these days, almost every part of the process, so you, you add them in the kettle uh, where you boil them to get bitterness. You add them towards the end of the boil for aroma. You add them in the whirlpool for aroma. We do something called dry hopping is when you add hops to uh, the fermenter. Which is wet. Uh, I'm still not sure why we call it dry hopping, mm-hmm. um, but that's all for bitterness, uh, for aroma and flavor. Technically, if a beer doesn't have hops in it, it's not actually a beer.
0: No, so the the beer uh, a beer is the, uh, described as a grain ferment with hops. Correct. Grain, water, yeast, hops. That's the the core components to a beer. If it doesn't have any one of those, it's not a beer.
1: Correct. And even beers that might not come across as having hops in them, sour beers, uh, saisons, Yep. they're in there. They're in there for balance and bitterness. You, you're just they're just not the predominant ingredient.
0: Yeah, and so we, we you mentioned some of those processes. So we'll try and break those down very quickly as well. So you mentioned in the boil and in the whirlpool. So you take the grain. So in this case, most part barley. Sometimes other grains, but for the most part, barley. Correct. Yep. Grind it up, cook it with water in a boil. Yep. And then you add your hops to it.
1: Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, And from there, like, I mean, it depends on your setup, but um, at Stomping Ground, we use a whirlpool, so we spin it. Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: And then we move it into a fermenter and we add yeast. Yeast is what makes it alcohol. It kind of goes around like a Pac-Man eating up all the sugar. And what it does is it farts out. Lachlan smiling at me, It's farts out alcohol uh, and CO2 and also some other byproducts of fermentation.
0: Yeah, and which can be things like sulfur and a few other things as well. But the whirlpool you mentioned, is, it, um, is there any uh, process that's important to using that whirlpool?
1: So your liquid, which is your what we in beer call wort, mm-hmm. spelt W-O-R-T, so... S- Pronounced wort, looks like wort, mm-hmm. again, who knows, Germans. <laughs> uh, obviously, you've used your grain and then you've thrown your hops in and you've moved into your whirlpool. There's going to be some solids left over from those processes and in the whirlpool when it spins, those drop to the bottom.
0: So kind of centrifugal kind of process, right? Correct. So trying yep. to spin out the, the, the yep. heavier compounds Correct. Yep. Uh, or components within that that beer. And so then that goes into a fermenter when you add your yeast. Uh, and then that's also where you can add extra hops as well. And that's what's called dry hopping.
1: Yes. And that's also where you can add, you know, these days uh, fruit beers. You've got peanut butter beers. You've got what
0: a- anything
1: you. you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that will be added in the fermenter as well.
0: Yeah. Rather than in the boil. Correct. Yep. Yeah. All right. And so we mentioned briefly IPAs. To basically a more hopped variant of pale ales.
1: Yeah, more alcoholic, more hopped, and then from there there's double IPAs which it just keeps getting higher and higher and hoppier and hoppier.
0: And triple IPAs, etc. So with with uh, what happens with the double IPA? What what is what's the separation between an IPA and a double IPA?
1: God. Um <laughs> I think it's I want to say it's 8% makes it a double IPA. This is really checking me on my Cicerone knowledge. So <laughs> I believe it's 8% is when it becomes a double IPA.
0: Yeah. Um, well, we've got an IPA here. I think we should taste yeah, that as well. Let's do that right now while, we, while we're talking about From it.
1: From our uh, good friends at Hop Nation and Fitzgerald. Yeah.
0: This is one of their recent releases, which is called Paradise Valley Hotel West Coast IPA sitting at 6%, so it's not so a double. On the deal. low side, yeah. So there are different categories. I might crack this really quickly.
1: That was so satisfying.
0: It was, wasn't it? there So there are multiple styles of IPA. What are some of the terminologies that we can see? So we've got for here a West Coast IPA.
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned before, um, kind of late 80s is when the craft beer revolution started in the US. And what happened was... There were all these hop farms on the West Coast, kind of um, Pacific Northwest, Mm -hmm. Yakima Valley. uh, And that's where a lot of those American hops were coming from. And a lot of the characteristics in those was kind of like resin and pine and tangerine and grapefruit. What we became to know as really classic West Coast American style flavors. Uh, And the West Coast IPA has all of those Basically. One of the most
0: famous you mentioned already, which was the, um, Sierra Nevada IPA.
1: Yeah. Which is, um, you know, we said, uh, Garrett Oliver is the dad of beer. I think Sierra Nevada is the dad of beers. Every craft brewery in Australia and probably in the world has tried to pay homage to Sierra Nevada paleo.
0: Yeah. And, and their IPAs as well. they they, um, yeah. torpedo torpedo. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Which is one of the classic American style IPAs that a lot of people who get into beer, they taste that. That's what the, their understanding of IPA is based off is that.
1: Absolutely. And I think uh, it's no secret to anyone that Little Creatures Pale Ale was blatantly trying to, you know, they were trying to pay homage to Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which was one of the first craft beers in Australia.
0: Yeah. And then you have some of the original IPAs in Australia as well, trying to do the same thing, trying to hone in on that West Coast style.
1: And that was kind of the predominant style then from, you know, the, I guess the mid-90s up until maybe five or six years ago, West Coast IPA Mm -hmm. was really the top IPA style. All of that kind of juicy resin and bitter. Like they're meant to be really bitter and astringent and sticky. Uh, And then I guess came hurtling towards us was what what now I think more generally we're calling hazy IPAs. But or
0: hazy or East Coast is the, the two that yeah. I see most often nowadays but originates as a...
1: New England yeah. IPA, which, yeah, I think when I try to remember one of the first ones in Australia, I think it was maybe the Mornington Squid Series was one of the first ones, Three Ravens, Juicy.
0: Three Ravens, Juicy and... Pop Nation Jedi Hop Juice. Jedi Juice,
1: yeah. And Which
0: is now long, now called J-Juice, I think.
1: Yes. I think there were some issues there with... Uh,
0: licensing.
1: Licensing. Yeah. But that those kind of started maybe six, seven years ago. Uh,
0: yeah, around seven, I yeah. think, from memory. Yeah.
1: And they came from uh, some breweries in the New England region in the US on the East Coast mm-hmm. uh, that were... Uh, Breweries like Alchemy um, and Treehouse that were doing heavily, heavily hopped beers with almost no bitterness. Uh, So all layer topping. So I talked about how you can put the hops in the boil for bitterness, and then you can put them in the whirlpool for aroma, and then you can put them. uh, You can dry hop in the fermenter. They were going really heavy on the you know the back end. Yeah uh, to get lots of aroma and hardly any bitterness. And part of what happened was those beers were coming out hazy. And I know a lot of those brewers say that that wasn't on purpose.
0: Just wasn't intentional. It wasn't.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, but then it became the trend to make the beer look hazy. Um, and And
0: less, less fined as well. So you'd have a bit more sediment in the can and yeah the bottle or what have you you know
1: yeah exactly so very hazy and then brewers began to yeah chase that that look uh and then we saw the the kind of trend towards oak creams where they're adding lactose to get that really creamy low bitterness juicy sweet almost orange juice yeah characteristic
0: breakfast juice uh, yeah, textural fruit-driven characteristic. Now, lactose has to be added in the boil. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so it's an unfermentable sugar, sugar yeah. so it remains in the beer.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's to create, yeah, that sweetness to balance out the hops as well and create texture.
1: My feel. yep.
0: Yeah, and uh, while we're on IPAs, it's, this is a great uh, chance for us to break down some of the terminology that we're starting to see in craft beer as well that can, is not well explained. People just say it and expect everyone to know it. Things like cryopop, <laughs> which is one that i found very funny recently. Yeah. So what is cryopop?
1: So a, a lot that and a lot of those terms uh, are just how the hops are either created or treated because there's just, there's a lot of experimentation happening with hops at the moment. Mm-hmm. So cryo, obviously it's been frozen.
0: Yeah. It's... Frozen with nitri- liquid nitrogen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and... I don't want to sound like this kind of person, but a lot of that kind of stuff is marketing.
0: It is, yeah.
1: Uh, and, you know, there's a trademark on the end of, of, of the words. Yeah. Uh, and But it's it's cool. There's a lot of really cool products coming out at the moment, and I think it's cool that brewers can play around with those and, and then consumers start to recognize terms like cryopop.
0: Well, yeah, cryopop is something we've only seen within the last – 12 months roughly, yep. give or take. Um, and it's something that a lot of more, some of my favorite IPA breweries, like Garden, mm-hmm. uh, the Garden Brewery in Croatia. Croatia? Yeah, Croatia. Not sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and some breweries in the US. And they're all starting to play around with this cryopop brewing, but te- uh, these cryopop hops, I should say. But technically they are all doing hazy styles as well. So that's what they're trying to achieve with those cryogenically frozen hop varietals. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah, it's cool. But then you've got, we mentioned dry hopping, but there's always a DDH on, <laughs> on cans or a bottles or, on, you know, mm-hmm. packaging. So what's DDH?
1: I laugh so much because, and my head brewer won't listen to this, so it's fine. <laughs> um, but he, yeah. He's not a fan of the Diddy Hitch. He's like, well, it's already double dry hopped. <laughs> <laughs> They're all double dry hopped. <laughs> but again, it's a term. Yeah. And, and that term, I guess, is meant to tell a consumer that it's got high aroma. Like there's a lot of hops on the dry hop. It's probably not going to have huge bitterness. Again, is that just another term for maybe a hazy IPA? It um, is. But, you know, we got to get inventive these days, right?
0: Absolutely. And then there's other IPA styles like cold IPA, which <laughs> we've spoken about just very briefly recently. Yeah,
1: we have. I it, It's so funny when someone asks you a question like, so what's a cold IPA? And you're like, well, it's actually a IPL, which is an India Pale Lager. And sometimes yeah. you find yourself saying, which is actually a lager that's kind of like an I." So you start, you, you mentioned about five different beer styles just to describe one
0: you go in circles right yeah i and actually
1: really like cold ipas though, me too. So
0: and it is a style that for some reason is becoming more popularized at the moment which is great which i have no idea why but it is and that's exciting for me personally yeah me but too. It, it is basically uh, an ipa that has been lager fermented so cold fermented right
1: yeah or you could say it's a lager that's been heavily hopped like an ipa
0: Which (laughs) is the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's the exact same thing. Depends
1: which uh, direction you want to sneak up on it.
0: Yeah, whichever way you want to sell it. Yeah, correct. I think the reason the cold IPA got – well, what I'm seeing is the reason cold IPA, that terminology came around is purely the way to sell these heavily hopped lagers.
1: And that's it, right? Yeah. IPAs are more popular than lagers to a lot of drinkers. So if you market it to IPA drinkers as opposed to marketing – an IPA to lager drinkers, it's going to be more popular.
0: Exactly. And it's, it's been very successful in that in yeah. that realm. And so let's move on to, I reckon let's go to dark styles before we go to, you know, more Germanic and Belgian and French styles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's go to dark styles. So we've got, let's move on to our next beer, actually. Let's go to our our stout that you've brought in for us today.
1: Yes, this is uh, this is a stomping ground beer called Hallion. Uh I am very stereotypical. I, as an Irish person, I love Jemison. I love potatoes and I love Guinness. (laughs) And I drink a lot of Guinness and I I don't want to say I fought tooth and nail because there were a lot of supporters of this idea, but for St. Patrick's Day I just really wanted to pay homage to to the black stuff, as we say. And hallion is a term in Ireland that we use for someone who's a a bit naughty. So for example, Lachlan, I could say, geez, I, I saw you at heartbreaker the other night and you were an absolute hallion. Yeah. So, uh, this is our kind of, yeah. Reference to, <laughs> to the OG it's a Irish dry start and it's in, uh, it's in nitro cans.
0: Yeah. So let's explain that quickly before we crack it. So we're starting to see a lot more nitro beers happening. So, Typically, beers are packaged with CO two carbon dioxide. Guinness has always well not always been, but is commonly known as a nitrogen beer. Correct. So, what is the difference between the two?
1: So, nitrogen is mostly non soluble in liquid. Mm-hmm. So, with ninety nine percent of beers which are CO two, you get those big fizzy bubbles. Yeah. Uh, with nitrogen, they're tiny tiny bubbles. So, what happens is. It kind of gives an effect of creaminess, a creamy mouthfeel. If you have it on tap, it's poured through a special tap,
0: which we call a sparkler. which a little widget inside. Yeah, it's got like a little
1: plate in it with uh, like five tiny holes. And what happens when you open the tap is it pushes it instead of it being pushed through one huge hole, it's pushed through five tiny holes and it agitates it and creates a creamy head.
0: Yeah. And so with with nitrogen cans, we start to see we're starting to see um, package their beers without any kind of way to do that. So they give you uh, instructions on it, right?
1: Yeah, we've got a little sticker on the top and says, "This is a nitro beer. Tip can three times. That's one. pour fast into glass and then enjoy. Yeah. This could be messy, by do the way, want, when I do, do it. I'll, I'll do the honors. Yeah. So you invert. I'm sorry if I spray this all over you, Lachlan.
0: That's okay. I'm used to it. I do this all the time at the bar.
1: (laughs) I'm pouring if you can't hear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is one of those styles that we are seeing more often and used in other ways as well. So nitrogen being used for IPAs or Mm -hmm. other dark styles as well. Um, And it's really, really exciting.
1: It's quite interesting that because traditionally that lack of carbonation and those small bubbles. When you drink a beer and you go to a pub, <laughs> <That's> so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, when you drink a beer and you go to a pub and it's got a huge head on it and you know, maybe you're from a certain part of the world and you say, where's the rest of it? Mm. That's me an Irish person uh, making fun of English people. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but, or Americans. <laughs> or Americans.
1: Um, but the best thing about the head on beer is that it's full of, these huge bubbles and those huge bubbles are full of aroma. So when you pour a beer with a huge head on it, it smells amazing. The difference though with nitro is those tiny bubbles and they're not really popping in the way that a CO2 beer would. So when you do a beer, like an IPA, you're actually losing quite a lot of aroma if it's not on CO2. So I think that's actually quite hard to get right to nail.
0: And I've only had maybe, Two or three examples of nitrogenated uh, IPAs, which have been designed for nitrogen. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'll see a brewery do the same beer two ways: CO two and nitrogen.
1: Yeah, we we've done that, and I think um, a lot will use. They'll use lactose to yeah. to get more of that creamy mouthfeel too, and they'll probably have hops that work really well with that. Maybe you know tropical creamy hops
0: we're, we're starting to see some of the some new hop varietals that are creating that like talus and and sabro that create that tropical yeah. characteristic which are very directly related but, yeah you know
1: sabro is a hop uh that kind of gives this coconut cream tropical
0: it's like a mai tai it's incredible it is
1: yeah i'm a fan it's a very <laughs> love it or hate it
0: yeah hop i and love it yeah I, I, do too. And sabro, I love
1: yeah it's um yeah, I can see why people don't like it yeah. and it has to be very balanced. It has to be used very well, but yeah, I'm a fan.
0: Yeah. When I mean, people will love and or hate different hop varietals because there are so many nowadays as well. And there you you know, you've got your noble hop varietals. We'll talk about those in a bit, but yep. let's go back to what we were talking about with Sorry. our dark beers. No, <laughs> no, this is great. <laughs> um, well, so dark style, so Stout's obviously the obvious one to jump onto straight away, seeing as we're drinking one right now. So what is a stout?
1: Yeah, so a stout is, so a stout and a porter are the same thing. So two of the kind of more famous dark beers. It's kind of like how freeways are highways, but highways aren't freeways or whichever way around that saying goes. Uh, (laughs) And basically they're all about the malt. So they use probably like, a, a very kind of broad uh, malt base, yeah. so or grain, as as we touched on before. And then they might use quite a lot of, or quite a s- small amount, actually, of roast barley. So something like a Guinness would have less than 5% roast barley, which is where, just like they used to in the old days, the, the malt or the grain has been roasted. And what it gives is a real kind of coffee roast espresso character and the reason you only use such a small percentage is because it's quite just like an espresso quite acrid quite bitter and you're using it for color and you're using it for that roast characteristic but not not too much of it
0: when it's used sparingly it creates this really like uh, uh, when it's uh, also combined with some of those richer sweeter malts it kind of creates this chocolate kind of mm. um dark chocolate and uh cocoa orange kind of characteristic to yep. it, which is what we all love about Guinness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: me too. It's, it, it's like sweetened espresso is what I always kind mm. of compare it to. And one of my favorite things is, um, because obviously being Irish, I love dark beer, but I love recommending dark beer to, beer to people because people are so scared of it. They're terrified of dark beer. I'll, I've heard so many times, I'll have whatever, as long as it's not Dark.
0: A lot of that's changing now. It's, I'll have whatever as long as it's not sour.
1: Yeah. Ooh.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm seeing a lot of. Ooh.
1: What I say to people is, "Do you like coffee?" And they're usually like, "Yeah." Do you like chocolate? Yeah. Well, you're probably gonna like it. Yeah. You no, know? You don't have to be scared of it.
0: It, it. And it was frightening for a long time, especially outside of Ireland and in certain parts of Europe. It was a frightening style.
1: Yeah, and I I I. I I understand the people who wouldn't drink a dark beer in summer or, and I, and I think that's a, a large part of it too, that people don't want to drink them when it's, it's warm. It seems like a winter sat by the fire kind of style, but not for me.
0: Not for me either. For no, me. it's one of those things that, uh, I always say is I think I could drink Guinness all day and all night and not have an issue. And, I have. and I have, <laughs> No, but it is it is a style that I would drink in summer. I drink, you know, I just sit in the sunshine with a you know tall, cold pint of Guinness and feel refreshed.
1: Well, honestly, it's 42 percent. Yep. It's because it doesn't have large bubbles, mm-hmm. it actually doesn't fill you as much because it's not filling you with gas, which is what people always say. They look at a pint of Guinness and they say, Oh, it's like having a meal.
0: It's it not. actually
1: doesn't fill you up that much because it's not fizzy.
0: No, exactly. It is, it is something that I find genuinely refreshing and I would sit on for days.
1: We should go to the caretaker's cottage after
0: this. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> um, with dark, so you said there's porter south. Is there anything that really separates them?
1: Tr- um, traditionally, no, but now, yes. So yeah. it kind of have evolved a little bit to be that a porter is kind of a drier, more roast-forward style. And a so stout, a
0: slightly higher percentage of that darker grain, or
1: yeah, and I think you know using yeast and using um, processes that are are drying it out more too. So it's a bit more kind of I, I don't want to say crisp, but that kind of really dry, roasty finish and mouthfeel. Whereas yeah. a stout tends to be quite rounded,
0: mm-hmm. can
1: be on the sweeter side, kind of heavier body, but those are. It's, it's a fine line and there's a lot of beers like that. I was actually, you know, to go back to the Vienna Lager, uh, a Martzen or a Mm Mertzen and a Vienna Lager are basically the same beer. There is in, in Belgian beer, there's triples and Belgian golden strongs and they're basically the same beer. Yeah. (laughs) It's like one tiny thing that, that is a difference and it's not a lot.
0: Yeah. All right, and so you've also got other styles of dark beer, or darker styles, I should say, like brown ales, black IPAs, red ales. Let's break those down very quickly. Yep. So we've got – let's start at red ale.
1: Red ale, yeah. So red ales, amber ales, red IPAs probably all live in the same place. ESBs
0: as ESBs, well, technically. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, what they're all doing is – usually using a malt that has been caramelized. Mm-hmm. And so like back in the day, they r- roasted them and they put them over fire. Now there's a million ways to make malt. And one of them is to caramelize it essentially or stew it. And it's simple as that. It gives a caramelized flavor
0: yeah.
1: uh, and tends to give a color of, you know, red amber and that's that really nice, sweet toffee, chewy molasses flavor.
0: Yeah. And then going to brown ales and one of my favorite styles kind of sits aside that, which is Scotch ales. Ooh. Love Scotch ale. Ooh. Um, but yeah, so brown ales are going more towards that roasty dark styles.
1: More chocolate probably. Uh, like amber to brown is, is pretty close, but yeah, definitely more chocolate, more hazelnut sweeter. I, I'm, I love brown ales. I find them very drinkable. Yeah. I think they're a great gateway to dark beer if, you, if you're if you scared of it.
0: Yeah. And then Scotch ales.
1: Scotch ales. You probably struggle to find too many of those these no, days. No, they don't really
0: exist too much, <laughs> but they are definitely my favorites. One of my favorite styles. I a friend of
1: mine in his advanced Cicerone exam, they ask you to describe a beer and talk about it for 15 minutes and he got Scotch ale and he was not happy.
0: How about it? It, It's a very limited topic, especially outside of Scotland, right? It is is more common there, but they don't really export it. Yeah.
1: And that is uh, an amber beer that is quite high in alcohol, quite rich, very, like, deep amber.
0: From my understanding, they also boil a bit hotter as well. So they uh, create a kind of uh, Maillard reaction within the the brew itself.
1: Yep. And... They used to have uh, like 50 shilling, 60 shilling and 70 shilling, which mm. were three different kinds of Scotch uh, Hill. Yeah, but you, you really don't see them about, I think Red Hill traditionally always made yeah. one in Australia.
0: And then you've also got Fury and Sons make one yeah. here as well. Yep. Um, the mill in Collingwood near where you guys are. Shout out they, the mill. Yeah, they, make, they made one this year, which was spectacular. But it is it is one of my favourite styles. I've got one downstairs that we should taste. It's Ooh. only a cheeky twelve percent alcohol volume, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> but it is it is a it's an old Scottish style that I personally really really love.
1: I mean, I can see why you would love Scotch Ills considering your love of whiskey. There's they're quite similar in flavour profile.
0: It is, yeah. yeah, and it's heavy, roasty, and grain. from Scotland. Love it, yeah. <laughs> And then so let's move on to – oh, we've also got black IPAs to quickly talk about.
1: Never met one I've liked.
0: Never met one you've Never. liked? Never. Not really? once. Really? No. Oh, <laughs> I meet them too often that I like. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for me, listen, I'm sure I, – I present the challenge to any brewers out there to uh, present me with a black IPA that I might like, but I, I find them out of balance. I find either they're too hoppy or yeah. too – malt forward and when it's too malt forward it kind of tastes like a porter and when the hops are right i'm just not yeah we're starting to see a lot
0: more play around with these new ipa processes like you know double dry hopping Mm -hmm. or you know using those we're trying to do a hazy ipa but with those roasty malts we're starting to see a bit of variation in that
1: i had a hazy black ipa at a festival a few weeks ago
0: yeah how was it didn't like it uh (laughs) <laughs> i
1: won't say who made it <laughs> no of course
0: but it, i i love a black ipa and i've had recently some really great uh, fresh hop ipas which mm. are using you know hop straight off the, the the vine effectively yep um and that was spectacular
1: yeah that's really fun every year so the hop harvest is around february march and it's when every single brewery's social media has a photo of their brewers picking hops, yeah. uh, which is always a fun day. So like most of the hops that are used in beer are hop pellets, which are hop cones of the family of marijuana that have been chopped down and concentrated into uh, a pellet form pelletized yeah. pelletized. That's a quick way to say that. Um, <laughs> but once a year you get to go, you know, drive out to wherever we go to Ellerslie, uh, and pick, Hops and bring them back and brew that day with the hops that you've picked. They go pretty quickly. You know, you have to use them within oxidize fast. Yeah, Yeah. you have to use them within a couple of hours, basically.
0: Which is why uh, hop harvests have started to do that uh, cryogenic
1: exactly. Yes,
0: freezing, which is to to basically kill it dead, but with all that fresh characteristics. Yeah,
1: halt any of that aging. Yeah. Um,
0: but there's also people who do dry aged hops and all of that as well to try and create other flavor profiles within their beer. But, yeah, so that that fresh hop harvest, that happens, well, here in Victoria at least or in Australia every February, you said?
1: Feb March, yeah.
0: Yeah. And most of the hops that are grown there are what, Galaxy, Vic Secret, any others?
1: Yeah, lots, Ella, uh, Eclipse. You know, the great thing about beer and about hops is that not only are there regional and local, uh, varietals, but we also can grow versions of hops from overseas, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's all, it's kind of like wine. It's all about the
0: (laughs) terroir that the soil, it's
1: never going to be the exact same, you know, the soil is different, the climate's different. So there'll be like Australian cascade or, um, Australian versions of noble hops, which is really cool. I think. Yeah.
0: Now, I think we've covered dark beer pretty well and we've got these two beers that are just staring at us. Mm. And I know that you're very excited about Mm. at least one of them. At both. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go on to more Germanic and Belgian styles. Um, Now, let's briefly talk about them before we open them. So there's these old world styles of beer from Belgium, Germany, France, Czech Republic, etc. that are more what we would now consider farmhouse beers or farmhouse ales, yep. I guess you would call them. So let's break that down a little bit first. Actually, how about you go through that while I open our first one.
1: You can pop it. Yeah. Um, I think initially um, we've touched on malt and hops. Initially these beers, it was all about the yeast. Yeah. Uh, and in, in a lot of German and Belgian beers. Whoa. <laughs> it's a girl. Uh, a lot of, a lot of Belgian and German beers, it is all about the yeast and those yeast characteristics, which in a lot of Belgian beers tend to be things like bubble gum and clove and white phenols, like white pepper. And like I said before, there is molten hops in them, but they're kind of taking a backseat to the, to the yeast characteristics. And then what happened was those beers went into barrels, uh, yeah. and either, you know, back in those days, it was probably happening, ver- happening very naturally that some of the stuff in the barrels and in then in the air was creating these wild farmhouse beers where we were starting to get Britannomyces or uh, other characteristics where kind of like Rodenback that we touched on, you know, it's yeah, vinegar. Yeah. Thing,
0: yeah,
1: or it's leather. Uh, is another characteristic of Britannomyces and they're just weird and wonderful and kind of not a million miles away from Champagne. I always think, you know, these beers are bubbly and spritzy and can be quite delicate at the same time as being, having a lot of complexity.
0: So, well, I mean, the beer we're talking about is one of those exactly, which is something that is a bit more spritzy and delicate and elegant. It is, its Effectively, the world's most fav- famous farmhouse beer, which is Pont. DuPont. Mm. Um, it genuinely is. It's, uh, anyone who talks about beer in this farmhouse category talks about this being their favorite beer of all time.
1: This is in my top five, absolutely. Yeah, it is. I, unfortunately, this isn't being filmed because what, what you're missing at home or wherever you are, because this is a medium walking, where people can wherever, listen yeah. to this wherever is the most beautiful, white, fluffy... Crunchy
0: head. head. It is. It is a spectacular beer. I actually haven't had Saison Dupont in maybe four to five years. I
1: haven't had it in a few years either.
0: Now, funny thing about this beer is I actually bought this to uh, use as an education tool for my team at the bar because they... So they're a young team at the moment and they don't know a huge amount about beer and we've been talking about Saison a lot and I wanted to show them this. But when we got you in, I knew I wanted to open this with you.
1: They can just (laughs) they can just listen
0: to Yeah. No, we'll just get another one. It's easy to get a hold of sometimes. Yeah. It is a spectacular beer.
1: So Saison Saison, sorry, I moved away from the mic. Uh, Saison has always been in Australia. Mm-hmm. the hardest style to sell saisons mm-hmm. and wheat beers i'm not sure why because for me the climate lends itself to drinking these kind of
0: beers absolutely
1: because it is it does have that like bubbly effervescent refreshing note to it which on a hot day is is the best
0: as well as the notes of like banana bubblegum mm. and maya lemon so sweet lemons yeah, yeah.
1: White pepper. Yeah. There's just so much going on, but it's so pretty. It is. Yeah, and this with food, like beer and food pairing, is a big thing, and it's it's uh, not always easy, especially with hop forward beers. But something I live by is if in doubt, saison.
0: And saison <laughs> de pont. Um, this would go great with a really fatty white fish kind of thing, or
1: ceviche. Uh,
0: ceviche, yeah, uh, it'd be. A fantastic beer to pair in that way. But it, it, Saison is the only beer that is classified as a farmhouse ale as well. While we consider all of them being farmhouse ales, I was recently reading um, an article on it because we did for Good Beer Week this year, which is 2023, um, uh celebration of farmhouse ales.
1: Oh, you did? Awesome. And
0: for, through researching that, we realized that the only one that's genuinely classified as farmhouse is Saison.
1: Yeah, right. Um. But there's
0: so many other styles, you know, it is broad topic, right? Broad category.
1: Cezanne has my favorite story in beer, which is that they came about because in the farmhouses, kind of on the border of France and Belgium, the water wasn't safe to drink. So what they did was they brewed beer and they used whatever was on the farm and they chucked it into the beer and they would drink these. And I think usually they were table beers back then. So they're like three and a half percent. So instead of drinking water while they were working, they drank beer.
0: Yeah. What a life. It was it was a, a farmyard worker. It was a, yep. a working man's drink, right? Yep. Saison, um, other styles, are more French styles like grisette.
1: Grisette, yeah.
0: Um, but they tend to be more astringent grisettes as well. But they are Much table drier. beers. yeah, Yeah. Yep. They're table beers. They're meant to, to drink on a hot day while you're working.
1: Yeah. I think it's the name maybe people are scared by, you know.
0: It also typically comes in these big bottles. Yeah. We've had this 750 ml champagne bottle of beer.
1: Yeah.
0: But it is, it's meant to be shared and enjoyed with people or when you've know when you had a hard day. That's what you're meant to enjoy this with. And then we're starting to see massive growth in that, especially here in Australia, but globally as well. Yeah. With other styles um, of these beers. So we'll break it down to eventually get to our new world sours like kettle sours. But how does this style then develop into other styles of farmhouse beers that we know of?
1: You're building me to a good segue here. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, So what happened was kind of, as I touched on before, which these beers then got put into a barrel and inoculated with, maybe some of those things on the farm, maybe, you know, uh, different spices, maybe some fruit, uh, and over time they developed all of these complexities, whether it was bacteria or yeah. some yeast that was added to become either quite tart or, um, funky as we would yeah. say now or wild. Uh, and that brings us to our next beer, which is by the very, talented and good mates dollar bill mm-hmm. who just took out champion beer at the AIBA awards 2023.
0: Yeah. We saw them I think two days later, oh, day later wow. two day, days later because
1: how, how were they?
0: <laughs> they were good. They were very, <laughs> they were very well behaved. Mm. Um, Fiona, who is one of the most interesting people in the beer world at the moment. Um, because uh, Dollar Bill, great, great couple, Fiona and Ed. Ed's the, the brewer, comes from that side of things. And Fiona could talk under wet cement. She Absolutely. Is...
1: <laughs> she also likes a beer. Yeah, she loves a beer. <laughs>
0: um, and we, we uh, celebrated Dollar Bill for uh, Good Beer Week as well at the bar and celebrating what they were doing. Yeah, it was just such a good time. She, she stole the show, Fiona, um, at our tasting. We were celebrating five breweries and she stole the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the thing about these beers too is they're never going to pay the bills. No. These aren't big money-making beers. And I think breweries like Dollar yeah. Bill and Wildflower and La Serene and breweries who are making these black really – Yeah, Black Arts.
0: Uh, and even internationally, things like Cascade Brewing in USA, not Cascade in Tasmania, um, <laughs> very different, really, absolutely, <laughs>
1: completely different. <laughs>
0: uh, Firestone and Walker as well—they make spectacular wild farmhouse beers. Um, they, they these breweries are just doing some incredible things. But it's for
1: the love; it's not for the for the cash.
0: Yeah, but a mm-hmm. lot of these breweries are managing to do pretty pretty okay yeah. off yep. it as well. They're not. They're not lenting themselves to to
1: and, and that's because people are starting to catch on that these beers are like wine and mm-hmm. they should be enjoyed like wine and beer deserves a seat at the table whether you're at an amazing restaurant and i know there are some great melbourne restaurants that are starting to have
0: these treat- bottles
1: and treat them like wine
0: yeah and and there's even sommeliers in in globally that are doing the same thing and they're doing the same thing with other alcohols that aren't just Wine. They're doing it with sake, or mm. uh, well, I should say, ni honshu, um, or you know, other other fermented products that are trying to to get people having the best experience they they can have with the food they're eating or what have you. And we're starting to see that really happen, especially here in Australia.
1: Absolutely, and it's really important.
0: It is. It yep. is really important. And a lot of well, I know you and I have a, a mutual friend who comes from a wine background. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even she is is obsessed with this style of beer all the time. Her and I, every time we get together, is we're drinking Roddenback and having a great time. I I am talking about Claire Harmon. <laughs> Hi. Hi,
1: Claire. <laughs> um,
0: all right, I think we should open this beer then and yeah, talk about should. the other categories of sour beer. So we're getting to the end. It feels so bad pouring out that Saison. It does. But let's open this. So this is the dollar bill gold teeth. Now this is a part of a set of two beers that they make gold teeth and candy paint. Yes. And candy paints the champion beer that they won with. Yes. But We've got their peach sour ale, which is the gold teeth. That sounded good too.
1: Yeah, this is
0: great. So a lot of these farmhouse beers are now matured on fruit as well. So it, we've mentioned Rottenback a lot as both of our f- favorite breweries in the world. They mature their beers on f- red fruits. Mostly this has been matured on peaches. So in cask with peaches, not brewed, not boiled with peaches. It's on fresh peaches as it ferments for up to two, three years.
1: The whole time on fruit,
0: not the whole time yeah. on fruit as far as I know, but yep. it is on fruit for a period of a that period time. of that time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then blended a couple of barrels together as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of the time it, it will be quite a short period on the fruit because mm-hmm. it can kind of, just like grapes, it can start to really go a bit kind of vegetal and
0: uh, tannic. Tannic, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there are ways to, to minimize that, but there are definitely processes that can, can change that. But we, a lot of people would be familiar with uh, New World Sour Beer. So we're drinking what would be considered an old-world sour beer with it's been – had no souring agents added to it. It's purely bacterial and maturation that's created that that flavour, that, that process. What is new-world sour beer? So kettle sours, I think, more effectively known as.
1: Yeah, so probably about five or six years ago, kettle sours really kind of took off. Uh, historically, they – were things like Gozes or Berliner Weisses, which yeah. were uh, an old German style that didn't tend to have any fruit added, but it was a goza is uh, a sour wheat beer that uh, has salt added. And a Berliner Weiss is almost the same, like pretty well, much the same salt. thing. Less salt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now and for the last kind of five or six years, It was all about the fruit. So, adding fruit or adding, again, our our good friend, lactose, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, to make these really approachable, kind of fun. Summer beers. Summer 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 beers. Uh, And the kettle sour element is they use lactobacillus. Mm -hmm. As I always say, it's uh, what is also in, I I would say, yogurt. I think you would say yogurt. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you if you watch a, a yogurt <laughs> ad, it says now with added lactobacillus. That is what makes the beer tart.
0: So traditionally, lactobacillus is used for Greek yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also in Yakult, mm. uh, the the soft yogurt drink. <laughs> soft
1: yogurt drink. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. But it is, it, and it's a it's a bacteria that a, a lot of bartenders are starting to play with as well, oh, really? including myself. Oh. Um, over the last five, six years um, but it is something that is is used quite frequently but it is added it's added to the kettle
1: Yes and it's the, and, and the reason for that is it's a controlled fermentation. Mm-hmm. A lot of what happens in breweries is if we go back to the beer that we were just drinking, if you're using any of those bacteria or yeast, you don't want to be using them anywhere near where you're making your lager or your pale ale mm-hmm. because they will start to taste. The same. The yeah. same. Yeah. And that would be the biggest risk to your whole brewery. So,
0: And they're really hard to clean out. Things like Britannomyces and Lactobacillus, which are very invasive bacteria. Um, y-
1: yeah, I know there's breweries like Garage Project, for example, in Wellington where they...
0: Wellington, New Zealand, I should represent.
1: <laughs> Where's the other Wellington? <laughs> Okay, Wellington Wellington. New Zealand, <laughs> Wellington Street, Collingwood, yeah. um, where they have their brewery where they make their peels and their lagers and their IPAs and then they have what they call their wild workshop. Yeah. And if you've been at the wild workshop, you cannot go to the Arrow Street Brewery because yeah. even if the yeast or any bacteria or contamination is on your clothes or on your boots, they don't want it in yeah. their brewery.
0: Yeah, well, it's the same. I mentioned before another one of my favorite global breweries, which is Firestone Walker in California. They've got three breweries.
1: I've been to one of them.
0: I've been to the one in LA, which is not. It's like a little brew pub, little place. I've
1: been to the Barrel Room.
0: The Barrel Room, which is their wild workshop. Insane. Yeah, which I really wanted to go to, but it's a difficult place to get into or go to.
1: I didn't. Nowhere.
0: The sticks, yeah. The
1: sticks, yeah. Um,
0: and then they've got their other place, which they brew all their pails and IPAs and yeah. lagers and all of that, and they're very separate. Yeah. So it is one of those things, and the, the, the one that I went to, which is their little tasting brew pub thing, they've just got a little pilot kit that they just yeah. run off. But they yeah. make some of the best beers I've ever tasted, especially in that Lambic farmhouse style.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing is not just – is it a very controlled fermentation? It's a very different flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kettle sars tend to be very clean.
0: Very clean, very, very bright.
1: Very bright, very tart, almost like lemon juice yeah. tartness. Uh, and it lets anything else you want to add to the beer really sing. Uh, whereas, obviously, any of those other bacterias that you're barrel aging with, things like Britannomyces or Acetobacter, they can go on all kinds of weird journeys that you can't control and sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad.
0: Yeah. And then there's a lot of breweries that champion this style that do have to t- toss out beer or blend it back through something else to, to make use of it. Cause it might yep. be something they can use as a flavoring agent as they yeah, go forward. But exactly. Yeah. They are treated more for their yeast structure. Whereas kettle sours are more about the uh, adjuncts. I guess I would say additives like fruits you know, there's some famous um, Berliner Vices and Gozers around the world. Like, um, what's the the watermelon one that we all love? Um,
1: watermelon smash from Stomping Ground Brewing Co. Maybe, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> that might be the one. <laughs> um, and then you have got things like Brooklyn Brewery. They do a great uh, Gozer, a series of Gozers as well. And
1: what I really love about those styles, and I've seen it because. Um, that wasn't just a plug, but at Stomping Around, we have a really kind of strong uh, SAR series called Smash. Mm-hmm. I've seen it, in, like, introduce people to beer so quickly, people who have never drank a beer in their lives, who say they hate beer and they try a watermelon sour beer or a passion fruit sour beer, and they just love it. And then yeah. it starts them on their journey. Two years later, they're drinking IPAs, and then they're drinking Saison de Pont.
0: Yeah, and I've definitely used... Um, the watermelon smash from stomping ground for actually cocktails as well. Yeah. It's a component in cocktails for a good six to eight months for our menu.
1: Mm.
0: So it makes it is a great thing to just mix with things and have fun with it. The Hop Nation here in Melbourne also has a great mango goza. Yeah. As well, which is called the Punch. Yep. Absolutely spectacular beer. But it is it, it it is a great little gateway, gateway drug. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned Brooklyn Brewery before, which is headed up by Garrett Oliver, that one of the few master cicerones in the world. But we've mentioned quite a few breweries. Are there any ones we've left out today that you think people should look out for? Uh,
1: at the risk of making this podcast three hours long, I, I, was, <laughs> I, I didn't really want to shout out, name drop anyone too much, but I, I kind of had three things to look out for, I guess, in the beer industry. Yeah. And and what's happening. Um, and I think, you know, maybe unbeknownst to a- anyone, the, there is a, a bit of a reckoning coming for the craft beer industry, which is essentially what other industries are experiencing with the cost of living and mm-hmm. inflation. And we're seeing it already in the beer industry that retail has been hit pretty hard already and yeah. probably will be for the next 12 to 18 months and who knows how long. And unfortunately what we're going to see is a slowdown in limited releases and package, which is a real sham I think for the industry. But what I think we're going to see is the rise of the brew pub even more than we've seen it in, in the last five years, which has been a lot. Um,
0: And there's a lot of breweries have been setting up their brew pubs, especially here in Melbourne. Yeah. Very recently. There, a lot of them coming online with uh, within the last six months and the coming six months.
1: Yeah, and I think what we're going to see and I think what we need to see in, is a, like diversifying their mm. offering and it not just being a tap room, you know, with some tanks and some taps and away we go. And that's why I brought a range beer. They just last weekend opened a new venue in Brisbane, which... It doesn't have a brewery in it, but it's a range venue, but it's called Patio and it's a neighborhood bar offering. Also places like uh, Love Shack and Castleman. Who I
0: was there uh, a <laughs> recent weekend. Um, yeah. In fact, last weekend. Um, it's a great space. I, I yeah. love what they're doing.
1: And, and with great beer. Great beer, great people. Uh, mm. They both used to work. Uh, we used to work together at Stomping Ground, uh, and they're doing an awesome thing where you know it's it's different. People are yeah. really making an effort with their hospitality, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And and we should.
0: Now this is probably something that a lot of people wouldn't have noticed, but a lot of craft breweries have moved towards larger cans, especially for the re- that retail sense, right? Mm-hmm. That's that retail space uh, product, and that was mostly a COVID decision. Yeah. So trying to get larger cans in people's hands. Um, but they are more expensive and with that change of that cost of living thing, are we going to start to see that change back?
1: Absolutely. I think that I bloody well hope so. Yeah. I don't think that we're in a world right now where people can pay $16 for one can of beer and even in I, a do bar, it,
0: I can't, I can't yeah. sell a $23 can of beer. Well, I can. But it's, you know, people don't want to do that. They want to taste those beers, but in 330, 350 mil cans. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of innovation is going to come through draft beer mm-hmm. and, uh, and move towards smaller cans. I know to mention Hop Nation again, their very good Ratenhund Pilsner has just moved from a large can to a small can. I'm and aware. I'm here for it.
0: Yeah, I'm aware, yeah. yeah. It is arguably one of the, uh, probably the best beer they make. And it yeah. is... Um, and I say that arguably, but it, it is something you've just heard our podcast dog, Grayson. Yeah, that we have really championed that small can now and it is something so exciting for us. I'm buying 10 cases of that a week. Wow. Yeah. I think um, one of those is going to my boss every week. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I think the next thing that we're going to see, which is uh, is really positive and really good for beer, is when I got into beer kind of 11 years ago, every new brewery that opened was X C U B and X-Lion mm-hmm. and X-Little Creatures. And then about five or six years ago, every brewery that opened was X-Stone and Wood and X-Four Pines. Yeah. Um. What I think for the next few years is going to happen is awesome that there's going to be a lot of alumni who are dog, ex moondog, ex stomping ground, ex pop like niche and like love shack.
0: And, um, uh, we got sober Mesa now, which is bonehead, yeah. You know, we're starting to see that happen, but we're starting to see all of this really exciting thing happen in that farmhouse category as well. And it's just
1: like hospitality, you know, every new bar that opens and says it's X Everly or X whiskey and ailment. What or, have you, yeah. yeah and, and that can only be good for the industry because young people who have fresh ideas coming up with, um, you know, and, and maybe there are brew pubs. I think that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be really cool. Uh, and then the next thing, which is kind of the elephant in the room for craft beer is we've kind of pandered to, and that's probably a harsh term, but targeted a certain demographic of people in craft beer yeah. for the last however long.
0: And which would be the people in what, the, the early 20s through 30s?
1: Yeah, and I think men.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, probably 25 to 25 plus And what we're seeing in all alcohol and beverage is that the next generation aren't drinking as much and especially in beer because we're not talking to women, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not talking to people of color. We're not talking to LGBTQIA plus. Yeah. And we need to, if we're going to survive. Yeah. Because the easy thing for breweries to do is to make a seltzer or an RTD to appeal to them. Well, what we need to do is we need them to drink beer because mm-hmm. beer has been around for a very long time and for it to survive.
0: And if you're a brewery, why are you making a different product exactly. rather than just, yeah. you know, yeah. making it more and, accessible and, 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 and understandable? No, and,
1: and uh, you know, no shade to anyone who is because, you know, they're, they're probably killing it. Uh, but I think for, for beer to survive and thrive as a category, we really need to talk to those people because they're the future mm-hmm. and we want them to drink beer.
0: We want everyone to drink beer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, I think we might call it, but I've got four final questions for you. Same questions I ask everyone. Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, you did used to work in bars. I did. So <laughs> one of these questions might be interesting for you. Oh, no. <laughs> what was the first drink you ever had? Whoa. Ever? Ever. Alcoholic. Drink.
1: Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, probably something really terrible like a smirnoff ice or yeah. a wkd
0: oh blue wicked yeah
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i was introduced to that recently well not recently what what is this year five years ago or,
1: like a, <laughs> we, or a west coast cooler maybe
0: yeah west coast coolers yeah <laughs> what was the last drink you had that you really enjoyed
1: Ooh. um, In winter, I just drank a lot of wine, to be honest. I also just went to Castleman. Mm-hmm. I went to Boomtown Winery.
0: I was also there this ah, weekend. Yeah. And
1: I love Minim's wine. I actually yeah. have purchased quite a lot of mixed cases, like all through COVID. Mm-hmm. And I just think their, their wine is top tier. And I just had the hitch.
0: Yeah, I tasted that.
1: Yeah. I just had a bottle of that and it was
0: delicious. That sounds, yeah, it is incredible. Now, what do you normally drink when you finish work?
1: Uh, probably, uh, I mean, pro- definitely a stopping ground beer because <laughs> they're free. Yeah. Um, my fridge tends to have a lot of them in them. Uh, I'm drinking a lot of our hazy pale ale at the moment.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah,
1: or Czech Pilsner.
0: Right. I do love a check pills. Me too. Yeah. Now, final question. Often called the bartender's handshake. Fernet (sighs) Brunka. I already know your answer to this. Do you actually enjoy it? Or do you tell people you do? I neither. (laughs) I (laughs)
1: actually, someone gave me one on Friday night and I didn't drink it and I gave it to somebody else because I do not. I don't fernet.
0: You <laughs> do not fernet. I
1: don't fernet, but I've never been a cocktail bartender, so yeah. I don't have to pretend to. No. <laughs> I do, I've never had as to I mentioned, because I genuinely enjoy it. I do Jamison.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. It's so great to always catch up you with you and taste all these incredible beers. We're gonna to have to finish some of these today as well.
1: Yeah, we we'll definitely have to go back to that saison de Pont, I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it's so good to see you
0: and chat through this and we'll hopefully have you back again soon to break down some of these more intricate styles even further.
1: Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you, Lachlan.
0: Thank you so much, Cassie. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Spirited Discussions. I hope you had as much fun as I have and have been able to take away something you didn't know. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And please join me next time on Spirited Discussions.